we're in week five of our series entitled, But God. Um, it's hard to believe that we've been trucking along for this long, but we have one more week after this, and then we're going to shift gears. But this has been an incredibly challenging uh, series because it, it causes us to have to look at our lives and understand in the midst of all the things that we're going through in life, God is still working. And those two words, but God, have the power to change entire situations, entire circumstances. I'm grateful for the challenge that Matt and Grant brought last week, helping us to understand that uh, when we get to that place of of pride and sometimes we get outside of God's blessing, um, that he desires to bring us back to that place of being used. And it's important for us to understand that these moments and seasons of life are there for God's work to be done. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see these, these impossible situations, these immovable objects, these, these circumstances that seem very dire, and yet God shows up in these but God moments and changes the whole situation. And the power of a but God moment cannot be understated. It cannot be ignored. And today I want to look at, at Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, an important but God reminder, because he brings us to this place of understanding. There's changes that have to happen in your life and in mine, the life of our church. You know, I was reminded this this uh, uh, this week that that all too often we we put ourselves in these places of of wanting to boast about the great things that we do in life and you know, brag about kind of where we are. We were, Gretchen and I have been working tirelessly on our house. We moved down just about a week and a half ago now, and we've been unpacking what seems to be an insurmountable mountain of boxes. Um, I, I think maybe if you've, you're like me, when you move, you throw everything into the house and everything into the garage, and then you open the door, and you're like, why do we have so much stuff? And I was in that place this weekend where Friday I decided to take on the shed and organize the shed, and so I pulled everything out. And then yesterday I said, I'm going I'm to gar- get the garage done. So I opened the door and pulled everything out of the garage, and, and it was just it was hours of work, and I was tired, and I was worn out. And so at the end of the day, got it all organized up. And I went in and I said, Gretch, I'm going to go grab a a Gatorade or something. Do you want? Yeah, yeah, Diet Pepsi, and get, you know, grab something for Elijah. And so I said, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, this is. It's a nice day. I'm going riding. And so I jumped astride my moped, and I was in my shorts and my flip flops because it was sunny out. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going a quarter mile up the road. I'm cool. I don't need to put a helmet on. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to go head down there. So I went zipping out on my, on my little Vespa and went cruising up and grabbed 53rd and went up to the, the stoplight. And I was, I was behind this guy in a convertible. And I, and I thought, this is great. 60 degrees out, wind's blowing through my hair. And this guy's cool too. We're both cool. So we, we rolled up to the stoplight. And he was in the left lane. I was in the right lane. I looked over thinking, we're both cool. So let's be cool together. And I looked over at him, and he looked at me, and he goes, hey, aren't you supposed to be wearing a helmet? And the coolness factor went away. But I said, oh, I'm just heading down to 7-Eleven. And as soon as I said the word 7-Eleven, he goes, oh, and there's the cop. And Albany PD went by, and I'm like, cool. 
And I didn't feel quite as cool in that moment um, and didn't want to brag about my, my cool moped after that. But it's interesting, as, as, as we look at this passage of Scripture, the Corinthian church had a problem. They had a problem because they really liked to boast about their greatness. They really liked to boast about how cool they were and how great they were and all the things they were doing in their community and all the important stuff that was going on at church. And they really, really thought they were something. And I know none of you have ever struggled with the need to brag about or boast about you know, your life, the things that you're doing. Believe it or not, there's been seasons I've struggled with pride. It's really hard to believe after telling the Vespa story. But I remember when I was in high school, I had, I had gone to Salem Academy as a kid, and, and uh, my parents had transferred us into public school for a time, and, and I had gone to spring my freshman year, and I was transferring back to Salem Academy. So I came in as a sophomore, thought I was pretty cool. I was back. I'd, I already had established friends, and so everything's going great. I'm playing football. I'm, you know, one of the, you know, the wide receivers, and I think I'm kind of something. And I remember kind of getting to that place where I was starting to get pretty arrogant, and I, and I thought I was cool enough to start popping off to some of the upperclassmen, um, which, you know, by the way, in hindsight, it's not a wise thing to do for all of you students out there. But in, in the time, you know, I thought, you know, I'm cool, and these guys aren't, and so I'm going to let them know. And so there was a couple seniors that were coming out of the locker room, and me and my buddy were walking in. He was kind of a guy that I had a little bit of a problem with because I had issues. And uh, I remember they, them coming through, and we kind of, you know, postured ourselves up, and, you know, and they said, hey, get out of our way. And I said, hey, why don't you make me? You know, yeah, I'm, a big, I'm a big guy. I think I was probably 147 pounds soaking wet. I said, why don't you make me? And he goes, you really want to do this? And I said, yeah. And I pushed him. The next thing I remember, I was picking myself up off the floor because I had been knocked out cold. My buddy's like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. Am I? (laughs) And it was one of those moments where I was reminded I wasn't that great. But I had to learn the hard way. And if that wasn't enough, you'd think I'd learn my lesson. But in college, I like to brag about the fact that I was a procrastinator. Yeah, it's a good thing to brag about. And I had a real, you know, spiritual gift of waiting until the night before, you know, of a 10-page paper to start said paper. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing that I was doing until it wasn't. And my grade didn't reflect, or maybe it did reflect the effort that I put forth. Uh, But it showed up on my GPA, and, and it wasn't pleasant. And sometimes we find ourselves in these places in life where we like to kind of promote ourselves and like to boast about just weird stuff. And I don't know about you, but our world is filled with self-promotion. Just filled. People promoting themselves and bragging about what they do and check this out and look at this. And if you don't believe me, just jump on social media. Just jump on Facebook or Instagram for a little while and you'll start to see on people's news feeds, all the crazy things they like to brag and boast about. It's mind-boggling to me. I mean, like Christmas lights and decorations. Why do you need to put your Christmas lights up before October? It just seems a little bit excessive. There's a tradition. It's called after Thanksgiving, and that's when the lights are supposed to go up. Can we all just agree? Thank you. Just 
does my heart good? Or people chronicling their run with their dog. Like, just, congratulations, you went running. Like, I don't need to know about it. I don't care about how many miles you ran. I know you were excited about it, but if you want to go run a marathon, enjoy yourself. I don't want to put myself through that torture. Or this one gets me. Why do people take food selfies? What is wrong with just eating food? Why do you have to take pictures of it? I don't want to see your meal. Enjoy it. Have a blast. People got to take their pictures, and it's all perfectly set up, and you, take, you, know, you get the right angle. I don't get the food selfies. Or as they're affectionately referred to as foodstagramming. Don't take pictures of your food. Just eat your food. It's not going to change once you take a picture of it. And then there's, of course, the celebrities and the pro athletes and the people that like to promote themselves and show up in the headlines. And, you know, Gretchen and I were talking, you know, she told me that, that, that J-Lo and A-Rod are, are you know, their, their marriage is pretty rocky right now, but they're going to try and work it out, which basically says to me that we should stop calling ourselves G-Lo and D-Rod because that's going to probably jack up our marriage. But people want to promote everything that they do in life. Pro athletes smacking their chests when they go into the end zone. Look at what I did. My dad always said, you know, when you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before and you plan to get there again. Okay. But we have this incessant need to be noticed. And we brag about weird, weird stuff. People bragging about their vacations and the medications they take their great sense of direction, or, or in some cases, their bad sense of direction. I remember there's a gal that Gretchen and I know, and she, she came to me one day, and she, we were talking about you know, GPS and sense of direction, and, and this is what she said to me. She said, isn't whatever direction I'm facing north? And I was like, no, no, that's, that's not how that works at all, actually. You're going to get lost. Often, but maybe you're more subtle. Maybe you're not like me. You don't, you don't need to promote yourself. Maybe you're a little more subtle. You, your fishing stories, the fish was always this big. And then it's bigger. It's somewhere in here. Or your old sports accomplishments. We always remember being better than we actually were. I mean, honestly, you know, I was always faster than I you know, thought I was. You know, I... You know, Gretchen had to show my kids that I actually did have a physical bone in my body and, you know, muscles at one point because they were talking smack about their 40-plus-year-old dad. And so my wife pulled out a picture of, of me all chiseled out, you know, on the beach in college. I don't look like that anymore, but it was a nice reminder of days gone by. Or we brag about our kids' accomplishments. You know, parenting is hard, and you should be proud of your kids. But just be proud of your kids. You don't have to live your life through them. Just saying. Or busyness. We love to brag about busyness. So busy. Oh my gosh. I don't have enough time to think, much less breathe. That's how busy I am. We wear it like this badge of courage. You know, I was, I was reading an article the other day as I was preparing for this. It was about, by a gal named uh, Amy Morin, and she writes for Forbes magazine. 
And she wrote an article called, Five Things You Shouldn't Brag About Because You'll Make Yourself Look Worse, Not Better. So here you go. Number one, I'm a really good multitasker, which actually means I'm constantly distracted. Nobody is good at multitasking. In fact, research conducted by Stanford University found that multitasking reduces productivity. Even worse, multitasking takes a toll on your attention and your memory and damages your ability to switch from one task to the next. And all the ADD people in the room say, amen. Number two, I hardly ever sleep. What that really means is sleep deprivation is killing me. Glorifying a lack of shut-eye is a strange phenomenon. After all, your brain needs sufficient rest to function at its peak. Studies have linked sleep deprivation to poor cognitive function. A lack of sleep reduces attention, working memory, long-term memory, and impairs decision-making. So make sure you go to bed late and you get up super early because it'll help you. Number three, I'm a perfectionist. What this really means is my impossible standards make it hard to function. Wearing the label of a perfectionist shouldn't be a badge of honor. True perfectionists set unrealistically high standards for themselves. As a result, they struggle to get their work done because their performance never measures up to their expectation. They also establish unrealistically high expectations of others as well, which makes them harsh leaders. Their intolerance for mistakes and excessively high standards cause subordinates to hide their mistakes rather than find ways to recover from them. And all of your family members say, amen. Number four, I've never failed. Which really means I don't challenge myself and I'm afraid I can't handle failure. There's a big difference between trying to succeed and trying to avoid failure. If your goal and bravado center on not failing, there's a good chance you aren't living up to your potential. Studies show people who avoid failure don't enrich themselves. They adopt goals that will help them look good and only try new things when they're fairly certain they'll succeed. Number five, I hustle 24-7. What it really means, I'm paying the price for being a workaholic. You don't have to look very far to find people who believe hustling all day every day is the key to success. But studies show working more than 50 hours a week does more harm than good. Workaholics experience a reduced quality of life. So rather than insist you're happy to be on call 24-7 or claim you enjoy skipping leisure activities because you value your work, focus on being productive. It doesn't matter how many hours you work. What really matters is how much you accomplish during your working hours. There you go. It's my free gift to you, all you braggadocious people. We got to figure out that it's not great to just be busy all the time and be running around doing all these crazy things and then think that that's going to be impressive to people. Balance in life is more impressive than that. But regardless of where you find your strength, the truth is God has chosen you. Not because of your greatness, but because he has a plan and a purpose for your life and because of his greatness and specifically his great love for you and for me. You know, not much has changed over the years. Paul is addressing the Corinthians because he had to bring a stark distinction as to why God had called them. Our text today is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 
And again, all of our scriptures and notes are available on the YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to follow along. But starting in verse 26, Paul says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the reminder today that the only thing that we have to boast is in you and in your love and in your greatness and your plan, and your purpose for our lives. I pray we wouldn't get caught up in the comparison game and feel the need to promote ourselves or find some crazy place of strength of of who we are and how much we've accomplished. But Lord, we would understand that because you loved us, you called us. So Father, I pray your blessing on our time together today and that you'd bless your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, in in the midst of a culture where people are constantly looking for ways to elevate themselves, Paul brings us back to this place of realization. To ask the question, do we have the ability to look honestly at our lives? Do we have the ability to look in the mirror and say, why am I here? God, I feel the need to to promote myself, but I need to be reminded of, of who I am in you. Because if we're willing we'll be reminded of some key realities as we take consideration of this scripture. The first reality is this, that we need to remember who you are without God. Remember who you are without God. See, I didn't say remember who you were without God. Because if you're like me, you need to be reminded almost daily that I'm not that great. I have to be reminded when I start to you know, amass accomplishments and see great things happen in my life, that it's not me, it's not my amazingness that is helping me accomplish these things. It's God's grace and his power at work in me. And so we have to remember who we are without God. We often get wrapped up in our perceived successes We look at our lives and we say, I've done this and I've done that and I've given this and I've been a part of that and I've served here and I'm successful at work. I'm a great parent. I'm a faithful spouse. I've created this wealth and this financial security. I've amassed all these things. I'm constantly helping other people. I'm a great pastor. I'm a great speaker. I'm a great leader. Doing all these things for God. But where then do we find our identity if those things are lost? When all that stuff goes away, who are we? The minute we begin to believe we are great by our own doing, we are deceived. We're deceived into thinking that we have control. That we birthed all this greatness. And here's the reality. God does not need our influence to do great things. 
Did you hear me? God does not need me and you to do great things. He just doesn't. He was doing a pretty good job before we showed up on the scene. I mean, when he created the heavens and the earth and the earth and the sea and all the animals and you and me, he's doing a pretty good job. Didn't need any help. You know, when he caused the sun to stand still in the sky for a full day, pretty cool. When he allowed men to walk around in a fiery furnace without being burned or come out smelling of smoke. When he brought people back from the dead, Jesus himself showed his power over death and the grave. God was doing great things before you and I showed up on the scene. And forgive me if I don't think that God is in need of someone influential, rich, or powerful to help him out. And yet, despite that fact, God chose you and he chose me because he loves us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nothing you say or do or are can save you. But God loved you. He loved me. God chose us because of that love and his desire for relationship with his creation. He desired us. He saved us despite us, not because of us. It's not a result of who you are, but according to his purpose and his grace and his plan. That's why he saved you. And when Paul says not many, he's saying something. Let's read that scripture again. Verse 26, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. It's interesting, I read the story of the Countess of Huntingdon. Paul is implying that there were only a few wise, rich, powerful Christians in Corinth. And he does sometimes save the rich, but just before the Civil War in America in the days of Whitefield and Wesley, some of the greatest preachers and ministers and evangelists of our time, there was a rich lady, the Countess of Huntington, who was a major supporter of their ministries. She also founded 64 small churches. She used to say that she was saved by an M because she read this passage in 1 Corinthians and noted that Paul does, does not say any, but many. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. There are a few. God does sometimes save the cultural elite. He does sometimes save the professional athletes, business tycoons, and movie stars, but not many. Because it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than what? For a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. We've got to come back to a place of understanding who we are without God. Because if we're not reminded of that, we'll never understand who we are in him. The second thing is this. We've got to remember God chose you that he might be glorified through you. God chose you so that he could be glorified through your story. He saw you before you were born. 
He knows the number of hairs on your head. We can't lose sight of the plan and purpose for which God created us. Too often we get wrapped up in our own desires and agendas and our dreams and I want to do this and I want to accomplish that and this is what my life's for and this is the purpose that I have. and We lose sight of what he's wanting to do in the midst of our story. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ just before the beginning of time. He saved us and called us, not because of our own doings, but because of his purpose and his grace. You know, most of the wise and the learned people in the world think the idea of Christianity is pure foolishness. They think Christianity, it's crazy. You think that some being created everything that we see and touch and feel and smell? That's crazy. Because life's questions must be answered. All things can and should be proven through science, they say. Even in the midst of a pandemic, we're going to follow the science until we stop following the science. You know, I remember Gretchen and I, we were doing college ministry a number of years back, and one of the studies that we went through that some of you are familiar with is is called the Truth Project. And it's a series of videos about apologetics and creation and, you know, intelligent design. We also watched a a movie called Expelled. You've seen this one with Ben Stein. I would encourage you to watch it. It's eye-opening. But in the midst of those, those movies and those videos, they begin interviewing different people, theologians and philosophers. And at one point, they, they start interviewing atheists, people who have no belief in an existence of God or, or an intelligent creator. And I remember the moment they, they pressed those, those individuals, and these are some of the well, most well-known atheists. Um, you'd know their names. Remember when they pressed them and they said, well, if, if there was no intelligent design, if there wasn't a creator, where did we come from? And I remember their response. They said, well, you know, there was, the, there was the Big Bang and everything was chaos and then it came into order. Okay. And then they pressed them a little bit more and they said, well, yeah, but where did we show up? How did we, how did we show up? How, where do human beings come from? And, he, and they said, well, we arrived on the backs of crystals. And I thought, what? You know, because of course you got to, you know, it's the chicken or the egg. You know, where did the where did the crystals come from then? <laughs> you know, but I remember thinking to myself, you got to have more faith to think we we showed up on the backs of crystals than you do to believe that there was a creator, that there was an intelligent design that brought about everything that we see and feel and touch. You know, the rich in this world seem to have no need of anything. And yet they're so miserable. Have you ever noticed that? How many celebrities have we lost to suicide, to drug overdose? How many professional athletes have we seen that have rise to prominence and are making hundreds of millions of dollars, and yet their, their, their lives are in ruins? They're wrecked. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17 says, You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
John hits us between the eyes with that one. Because the reality is all this stuff is temporary. It can be taken away just as quickly as it was given. And regardless of how you or others see you, God chose you despite who you are for his purpose, for his plan. Read 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 27 again. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God exalts the unlovely so that he can be glorified. Because Jesus ministered most to the sick, the lowly, the lepers, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. That's who he hung out with. He bragged not about the wealthy givers, right? He didn't, he didn't commend the guys who brought their big sacks of cash into the church and started to empty them out in the coffers. No, he commended the, the widow who brought the two mites because it was all she had. And she dropped it in the offering plate. Do you know how much two mites is? An eighth of a cent. Big money. That's who Jesus brags about. The woman who gave it all away. We've got to remember and understand who we are without God. And remember that God chose you that he might be glorified through your story. Final thought is this. Remember in everything, God deserves the credit. In everything, God deserves all the credit. But for whatever reason, we like to put great stock in status and position. And This is what I did and this is what I've accomplished. And yet God is saying, none of that matters to me. You matter to me. 1 Corinthians 1, 28. 29. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that not one may boast before him. We don't have anything to brag about except for his love, except for the fact he decided to save us. It's summed up this way the nothings, the nobodies in society, the people we would say have no value. Yeah, that's you and me, by the way. You feeling encouraged yet? We live in a society that places too much emphasis on who you think you should and could become. We place way too much emphasis on on what we can accomplish and what we can do. Yet nothing we do or say or become is based on our own ability. Guess what? You had no say over your arrival on this earth. None! Boom, newsflash. You weren't sitting in your mother's womb and you're like, okay, I think we're ready. Let's do this. None of us had any control over that, nor do we have control over really anything in our lives. Isaiah says it this way in chapter 10 of Isaiah. Does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? Or the saw boast against the one who uses it? As if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up, or a club brandish the one who is not wood. It says it differently in chapter 29. 
verse 16, you turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, you did not make me? Can the pot say to the potter, you know nothing? And yet, why do we tell God what we need and what we should do and what we should be? When God's saying, I created you, I know the purpose that I created you for. Trust me. Remember who created you, who breathed life into you. Neither do you control the days on this earth that are gifted you as the, the, the day that you arrived on this earth. God is in control and has a plan. The gifts God has given to us in life were given so that we could boast about him and him alone. God saved you so you can make a big deal about who he is. That's it. He saved us from our life. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from all the destructive behaviors that we had going on in life so that we could tell people about his love. That in the midst of all this stuff, God loved me enough to pull me out of it. And that is bragworthy. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we close with this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's who we are. A chosen people, a royal priesthood. That we can boast about the one who picked us out of our crud and put us on a firm foundation. That's who we boast about. That's how we brag that God saved me from myself and brought me into his purpose. You know, church, at Neighborhood Church, we will not boast about big services or huge offerings or how many show up for Easter services. That's not what we're going to be about. Our boast will be in God when we hear of lives being changed, people being saved, marriages being restored, when parents come to Christ because of their kids, and when people are delivered from addictive, life-controlling behaviors. That's what we're going to boast about. That's what we're going to be about at Neighborhood Church. When was the last time you bragged about him? When you're sitting at work, you're sitting there with somebody who's struggling and hopeless and depressed and going through the ringer, when was the last time you said, you know, I've been there, I know what you're going through, and God brought me through it? Not if you try this, or hey, I'm on this medication over here, or if you just use some melatonin at night, you'll be able to sleep. Now, when was the last time you bragged about him? Because that's the kind of Christ followers we should be. Christ followers, not the other way around. Would you pray with me this morning, God? Oh, forgive me, God.
forgive me for those times I've thought that I was smart or wise or knowledgeable or experienced and thought that what I was doing was because of all those things. When in reality, I was just stepping more and more into your purpose and plan for my life and not even realizing that you were the one who had orchestrated all of it. God, forgive us for those times we, we've blown right past your plan and your purpose to chase something that is temporary. Forgive us for not realizing those moments that you've placed someone in our path who needs to hear about you, who needs us to boast about your love. God, we want to be used of you. We want to point the light on you. We want to point the spotlight on you and on your your grace and your power and your love. Help us to be those people who will, will grab people who are wandering around in darkness and bring them to the light and help them understand that you love them and that you have a plan and purpose for them. Help us not to get caught up in the, the hustle of bragging and boasting and comparing, knowing that everything that we do, God, should lead people to you. God, we love you and we thank you that we can rest in your great power and presence. We can rest in the fact that you know what you're doing because you created us. So, Father, change our hearts. Remind us of who you are and who we are in you. God, we love you and we thank you for that. And this morning, perhaps you're literally standing on the doorstep of your own but God moment where you say, you know what, my situation's too screwed up and I've, 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 I've been too far away and I, I, I've done all these things and I've, 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 I've just messed up too many times. God says, I don't care. I love you. I have a plan and a purpose for you. I'm reminding you today that I've chosen you. And if that's you today where you're saying, I, yeah, okay, okay, I can get on board with that. And your desire is to step into relationship. Your desire is to say yes to that invitation of God to be used. I ask you to respond in this way. We're going to say a prayer as a church here in the house and online. We're going to say it together because we don't want to single anybody out or embarrass anyone. But we understand that it's, Scripture tells us we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that Christ died and was raised from the dead. We will be saved. We will step into relationship and purpose that God created us for. So if you're desiring to take that step today, I ask that you'd pray this prayer with us. Church, can we say it together? Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe your son Jesus Christ came to this earth to show me how to live. He died and was raised back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. I ask you today to come into my heart, to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change. And I commit to live my life for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.
You know, I'm so excited that we can boast about the one who created us, about the one who loved us enough to pull us up out of our stuff. And today, I, I, my prayer, my encouragement, my challenge to you is to leave this place understanding that your story matters to somebody. Your story is going to be a story of boast, of God's greatness and his love that is going to pull somebody out of their stuff and give them hope to step into that next day when maybe they're not in that place where they feel like they want to. So don't lose sight of the fact that you are a gift, that God has desired you be the gift to your sphere of influence, your friends, your family, your coworkers, anybody that you come in contact with. Boast about your story in him, understanding that it can change the whole situation for someone else. So as we go out of this place, I would encourage you, as we say every week, we come to this place of making a decision of how we're going to use the moments that God gives us, how we're going to use the energy that he's given us. My encouragement is that you would continue to look for opportunities to allow the Spirit of God to speak through you. Our prayer partners are available to you this morning if you need prayer. If you'd like us to pray with you online, please just send an email to us and we'll be happy to pray with you. But as we go out of this place, let's make the conscious decision to step into God's story, to boast about him as we continue to work every day to be the neighborhood. 